So what made you want to come out on a Saturday to hear from the governor of Florida? Just trying to educate ourselves on all the candidates so we make a good choice. Lynette and Keith Peterson are standing in a line outside the Bucksnort Bar and Restaurant in downtown Council Bluffs. It's an October evening and they're here to see Ron DeSantis. I hear all kinds of opinions when surveying folks at these kinds of events. You hear about the economy, issues with President Biden, some conspiracy theories here and there. But what I wasn't ready for was this retired couple to tell me they don't plan to caucus. Why wouldn't you go to participate in the caucus then? I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just trying to yeah. understand the, the level of. We opinion. never have. We don't. We, yeah. okay. we don't know about it. We don't. We know about it, but we've just never. Uh, okay, so this is interesting. Then, would you rather vote in a primary than show up in a caucus? Yes. yes. Keith tells me he's heard stories about past caucuses where it can take hours and people are moving around the room trying to pull support from other candidates. They don't realize Democrats and Republicans caucus differently. From what I understand, a caucus is, is a bunch of people standing around yelling why they think this person is better, and I don't need to. I don't need to listen to that. Yeah. So the Democratic one is definitely people yelling and trying to get people to move. But Republicans write the name of the candidate on like a little piece of paper and hand it in. But you still got to stand around for several hours. And okay. So there's not a lot of. So so maybe we should go to. A caucus. There's some truth in what this couple knew about the caucuses, but it isn't the entire picture. There can be a lot of confusion surrounding elections, caucuses, and politics in general. People read headlines, hear things, and draw conclusions. And when there's misinformation, even when it's not malicious, it spreads. And that contributes to the erosion of trust in traditional news outlets. Not everyone going to campaign events this year planned to show up to caucus on January 15th. I'm not caucusing. <laughs> Have you ever caucused before? No, I haven't. Even enthusiastic Trump supporters who show up to his rallies. I guess I just don't know much about it. From understanding just how the caucuses work to not believing the outcome of American elections, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. I don't know how they're doing it, either voting tabulations or what, but I think they're stealing the elections. Prominent politicians like Iowa's Republican Senator Chuck Grassley does not correct former President Donald Trump's claims of a rigged election. During Grassley's last re-election campaign, I press him on why he always pivots away from Trump's denial of the 2020 results. Don't you think that's what I should be doing instead of talking about the personality of, of an individual? Would that be an opportunity, though, to say that the election was legitimate? You voted to certify the election of... President Joe Biden. I shouldn't have to repeat that. Politicians like Senator Grassley tiptoe around phrasing their answers to not upset constituents. And voters are inundated with stories and commentary that reinforce disinformation about elections. Everyone is their own reporter, right? And when everybody's their own reporter, not everyone is a good editor. At the same time, the decline of local news outlets is accelerating. Part of what social media and digital media have done is sort of blurred the lines, so we don't know necessarily what's straight journalism, what's more analysis or opinion. Um, it's, it's much harder to suss out who the, the good sources are. What Iowa's shrinking media landscape means for the caucuses and how the candidates are making their final push in a race that hasn't changed all that much. From Iowa Public Radio in collaboration with NPR's Midwest Newsroom, this is Caucus Land. I'm Clay Masters. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer.
It's the first week of December. Former President Donald Trump walks up to a makeshift podium at a bar in Ankeny, and one of the first things he does is discredit the press. Thank you very much. I don't have any notes. I don't have anything. I'm up here all by myself with all the fake news back there. Trump's been belittling journalists since his 2016 campaign, and it's caught on with other politicians. I heard seven years of the media attacking President Trump for a bunch of made-up, bogus stories. Carrie Lake lost her race for governor in Arizona, and occasionally the Iowa native returns to her home state to stump for the former president, like in February. People read your headlines and they go, oh, this is a bunch of BS. This is happening with the decline of local journalism, and it's not unique to Iowa. A recent study from Northwestern University shows an average of two and a half newspapers closed each week in 2023. Compare that to two a week the previous year. Bottom line, the nation has lost two-thirds of its journalists since 2005. Iowa Public Radio's Natalie Krebs looks into how it's hitting the state at a time when the nation turns its attention to Iowa. It used to be so easy for local journalists to get an interview with candidates running for president. For a lot of the candidates that I see, they're posturing, it's performance art. Bob Leonard recently retired as news director at KNIA KRLS Radio in Pella and Knoxville. And like a lot of journalists, he's interviewed a lot of presidential hopefuls. The very best person ever at interacting with me as a politician was Newt Gingrich. He'd see me, he'd walk up and he'd say, what do you want? 30 seconds, two minutes, five, what do you got? Whether it was Mitt Romney, Barack Obama, George W. Bush, Leonard says he took access to presidential candidates for granted. It was a series of good intellectual discussions where I knew that based upon their different philosophies, that they were coming to the discussion with honesty and with integrity for the most part. The way media organizations now cover the Iowa caucuses is changing as campaigns become more nationalized. It wasn't always like this, but especially increasingly, it's hard to pin them down and, and figure out even, you know, a close approximation to what they really believe. But this decline in local news, whether it be radio or newspaper, affects more than the caucus cycle every four years. There's a difference between Iowa Public Radio and what I cover, which I think about the state of Iowa, and like, you know, like a county newspaper who can cover local stuff as well. And that's what we're seeing disappear. You know, radio does seem to like really stand up, but... Right. You can't cover the city council meeting. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and so it's important to cover that. If we don't have anybody covering the city council meetings, my God. Just think of the potential shenanigans if you get unscrupulous people in there. When you do lose local uh, newspapers, local um, government corruption can go up. This is Kyla Heading. She's a journalism professor at the University of Iowa. You actually find that people participate less in municipal elections, which are already super low in terms of, you know, the percentage of the population that participates. So it's it's, it's just really, really bad for civic engagement all around. Heading says the outlook isn't good for local news. Experts believe nationally by the end of next year, there will be a third fewer newspapers than there were in 2005. We have several counties in the country that don't even have a newspaper now, many counties that only have one newspaper and often they're weeklies um, with maybe one or two people (laughs) employed. In this world, the media environment is crowded with things like Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and that platform formerly known as Twitter. There's just so much else uh, that's competing uh, with people's attentions that people aren't, uh, you know, tuning into the local news or, you know, reading the local newspaper in the way that they were 
20, 30 years ago. This crowded environment impacts legacy news sources like the Carroll Times Herald, a paper Doug Burns' family owned for 93 years. They had a lot of debt. During the pandemic, that debt got worse. So two years ago, Burns made the very difficult decision to sell it. We sold it. We, you know, we didn't walk away with with checks or infusions to our bank accounts. We used uh, the the sale of the paper to retire the debt. Burns says, in retrospect, he could have held on to the paper longer, but he said he was unwilling to lay off staff or outsource printing. In the last. Five to seven years, we went through a parade of indignities. So I think it would be unfair to pinpoint any one occurrence, uh, any one issue, any one problem. Like, you, like you, I can't say that one thing is the proximate cause of us having to sell the paper. Even though Burns no longer runs a paper, he stresses the important role of local news and local reporters, especially for things like the caucuses. Your community newspaper person interacts, you know, 40, 60, 70 hours a week with the communities they live in. So they know all the concerns, which allows them to be better interrogators, to be better interviewers of these candidates. Another reporter who feels this way is Lorena Lopez. She's also in Western Iowa. We had the beauty in these small communities that, um, that we have uh, Latinos from everywhere of Latino America. Lopez immigrated to the United States from Nicaragua in the early 1990s. She started the newspaper La Prensa in 2006. It's still one of the few local Spanish-language newspapers in the state. To help launch it, she met with Latinos in Denison, Carroll, and Storm Lake. I went to churches. It was uh, like two or three churches, I remember, in Denison in that time, um, Latino churches, beside the Catholic church, it was three Protestant church, and I asked to the pastor, give me the opportunity to talk with people. So they give me the opportunity, and I asked people what you would like to read about, what you are interested in. On top of running La Prensa, she recently took over as the publisher of the Denison Free Press. How do you keep these two papers going. Whatever business person will say, oh my God, she don't have a plan, that is a disaster. No, it's not like that. With the newspaper, you have to live in the new era. You have to live uh, day by day, edition by edition. I think local ownership of a newspaper gives you that backing to say to the community, like, look, we're invested in this town. Sarah Baranowski was the editor of the Iowa Falls Times Citizen for a decade and a half. She left to be the deputy managing editor of the Cedar Rapids Gazette in 2022. During her time in Iowa Falls, she felt people's trust of newspapers shifted. The way that people responded to our reporting on issues or to our editorials, um, which I don't, I didn't see as left-leaning. I saw them as pro-community or pro-democracy, like we want people to run for office. We want to have differing viewpoints. We want to have those conversations in public. Um, but those were labeled sometimes as liberal viewpoints um, in ways that they hadn't been before. So the paper reached out to readers identifying as conservative with the survey. The survey was called Reengaging the Right. They wanted to find out how these readers consume news. And by and large, people said, well, I trust you guys. I trust my local paper, but I don't trust the Des Moines Register, or I don't trust the New York Times, or I don't trust the AP. Baranowski says it can be hard for anyone to be confronted with ideas they disagree with, and it's tempting to live in an echo chamber. I get wanting to go back to the sources that 
you believe are telling you the truth and, you know, whether that's a conspiracy theory or just, you know, your own opinions. Yeah, it's comforting, but I worry about what that means for our future and being able to have those difficult conversations or being able to disagree with each other on one issue, but agree on another issue. You know, if we've just said the other side is wrong, I don't like them at all. Like I'm never going to agree with anything they say. Like, how are we ever going to come to any kind of consensus or build toward (laughs) like respecting each other? Just like, that would be great. It's hard to identify what the current standard is for journalism. How people consume and understand information can influence how they engage or choose not to engage with politics. But one thing is for sure. Audience expectations aren't the same as they once were as the role of local news continues to shrink ahead of the 2024 presidential election. That's Iowa Public Radio's Natalie Krebs. As we come closer to rounding the corner to that first-in-the-nation contest, the remaining candidates are making their case. This is Caucus Land from Iowa Public Radio. I'm Clay Masters. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. Please give a warm, warm welcome to Ron DeSantis, the next president of the United States and Welcome to Thunderdome in Newton. It's an old skating rink turned into a restaurant and event center. This is in Jasper County, the final stop on the Ron DeSantis 99-county tour. By now, you probably know who this is, Governor Kim Reynolds. I think this morning Trump's team was saying it doesn't matter if you go to all 99 counties. How do you feel about that? Does it matter if we go to all 99 counties? And the person Reynolds endorsed takes the stage. I don't think doing the 99 counties is just about the caucus. Like, yes, obviously, we're going to use that to to win the caucus, uh, but I think it has significance beyond there. One, by the fact that I'm willing to do this, that should show you that I consider myself a servant, not a ruler. And that's how people that get elected should consider themselves. He delivers his normal stump speech, but sprinkles in some Iowa roadside attractions he's seen. Casey, me and the kids, when we visited Sac County, we saw the world's largest popcorn ball, uh, which was quite a sight. Uh, and I know some of you have seen that. More recently, we were in uh, Chickasaw County and we attended church services at the historic Little Brown Church. He's trying to sell that he's put in the work. We did the 99. Now we need caucus night the victory. God bless. On the very same day, one county away, former President Donald Trump is also holding an event at Whiskey River. It's a bar in Ankeny. You know, as much as we think that this pie is already baked, uh, there's still a large number of people that are still in that undecided category. This is Gary Leffler. He goes to a ton of Trump events. You're bound to see him. He parks an American flag tractor outside of venues where Trump speaks. He also unsuccessfully ran for Congress recently. As he waits for Trump to speak, he says he's concerned about Governor Reynolds endorsing DeSantis. I do think it potentially could have some negative impact on Iowa being first in the nation. Uh, because, well, no governor in Iowa has endorsed a presidential candidate in the last 30 years. So she's the first one to do it. And you really, the, the different candidates come to Iowa with the idea that it's an open field, it's an open opportunity. And when the governor endorses someone, that's kind of like saying, you're not 
quite as open as what you led us to believe. Others in this crowd, like Dee McKnight and Deanna Hyatt, are a little more frustrated. It's like a stab in the back. I could not believe it. It's not up to her to try to manipulate our vote. It's the Iowa voters that are supposed to say who they want first, who they're voting for president. We want, well, you know, with your governor, we had an I got along with her very well. Trump supporters are starting to turn on their governor. I mean, that was her choice to do this. But I believe in loyalty. Uh, I didn't say I'm going to do this. I don't care if she endorses me or not. It's not going to make any difference because the only endorsement that matters is the Trump endorsement. I hate to say it. But but when somebody does that, uh, that's a lack of loyalty. I think President Trump was the right president at the right time. Later that week, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley holds a town hall at a farm in central Iowa. But rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. Chaos follows him. You know I'm right. And we can't have a country in disarray and a world on fire and go through four more years of chaos. We won't survive it. After speaking for 45 minutes, she opens the floor for questions. How can you prove to the American uh, people that you are a better business person than Trump? Look, I have, I have not been one that wants to get into the personal side of anything because I don't think it gets us anywhere, but I will talk about the policy side of things. For much of this caucus cycle, most candidates have been careful about criticizing Trump. But as the caucuses get near, they dial it up a bit. Haley says she's agreed with Trump in the past, but... I don't agree with how he had this free-for-all spending and allowed us to go into debt that is going to take us so long to get back out of. I don't agree that the fact that when he deals with foreign policy, he rewards dictators and thugs. You know, he basically, he praised Hezbollah when he was talking about that. He cut down Israel's prime minister at a time when Israel was on her knees. He was going over a past vendetta that he had. He says Kim Jong-un is his friend. He praised China. On the, he congratulated them on their 70th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party. Even with pushback from Trump's opponents, the Des Moines Register Iowa poll published in December shows he's widening his lead over DeSantis in second and Haley in third. But that's not stopping them from stepping up their appearances. We have a huge coalition across the United States of America of mothers and grandmoms. Sitting next to her husband on the Fox News channel, Casey DeSantis asks supporters from out of state to come to Iowa. We're asking all of these moms and grandmoms to come from wherever it might be, North Carolina, South Carolina, and to descend upon the state of Iowa to be a part of the caucus because you do not have to be a resident of Iowa to be able to participate in the caucus. So moms and grandmoms are going to be able to come and be a part and let their voice be heard in support of Ron DeSantis. The Republican Party of Iowa immediately issues this reminder. You must be a legal resident of Iowa and the precinct you live in to participate in the caucuses. Misinformation arises when people see something, believe something, share something, without going through the process that a normal editor or an editorial process would catch. Simpson College political science professor Kedron Bardwell teaches a class about misinformation. It's really easy for things to spread that would have otherwise been caught in the old media system. And people would say, well, wait a second, we need to actually go and look at that clip again. Wait a second, we need to actually ask an agency about that data that someone just shared. The DeSantis's Fox appearance is just one example of how misinformation can take over. With no gatekeeper, um, things spread immediately. 
Um, and there's really no stopping them. Where do you make the correction when there's a million people sharing something? It used to be that people were tuning into presidential debates to size up the field of candidates. So first of all, Ron has continued to lie because he's losing. No, it's, it's not just, a lie. You are lying. You so said first it on of, tape. In this fourth debate, DeSantis, Haley, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie are the only ones up there. Trump has skipped all of them this year. Most of this one centers around DeSantis and especially Haley. And the fact of the matter is, we know from her history, Nikki will cave to those big donors when it counts. And that is not acceptable. But how much are average Iowans even paying attention to all this back and forth? You have to be, like, plugged in. And so I think the people who are plugged in do take it really seriously, and they sort of live up to this, like, ideal. But there's a lot of other people that it's happening around you, and you don't see it. Megan Goldberg is a political science professor at Cornell College. She moved to Mount Vernon, Iowa, just a few years ago, ahead of the 2020 cycle. It's really amazing that I was thinking about the degree to which someone in Iowa could be living their life and really have no idea that the, the caucuses are going on and that this, the presidential candidates are dropping into pizza ranches all around them. Um, and I think before I moved here, I did have this idea that I would come here and you could like feel it in the air and that like the vibe would be like really, I don't know, politically charged and that we would all be thinking about it and constantly talking about it. And that's not really the case. Goldberg says perhaps that's just what Iowa is in 2024. Maybe that's the role of Iowa this year, is that we are just sort of the backdrop of what is happening with Trump playing out. I don't think that puts Iowa in a position of power, necessarily. It just makes us the place where things happen to be happening. The rest of the country has long heard these almost myth-like stories about how Iowa voters take this process seriously, that they show up, put the candidates through the paces. And some really do. I've met a lot of Republican voters who are taking what they see as their responsibility this year very seriously. But we're not seeing a lot of evidence throughout 2023 that it's happening anywhere near the level we've seen for the past half century. At the same time, people have fewer vetted sources of news, living in their own echo chambers. The former president, who is far and away the frontrunner, faces many criminal charges and is almost running a revenge campaign. And in the end, when you're a national candidate with very high name recognition, actually really what you're looking for is, is to do well in New Hampshire and then to get to Super Tuesday, where that advantage in name recognition and money really comes to play. So here we are. The caucuses are almost here. On January 15th, Republicans and Democrats will head to their meetings across the state. The Democrats will meet to talk about party planks. As to the nomination, they'll mail in their picks for president and they'll be counted on March 5th. That's Super Tuesday. For Republicans, they'll also gather to talk about party planks. They'll make speeches and fill out their ballots, then they'll count them there on the spot. And on January 16th, we should know who that winner is. The Republican caucuses will look and feel like many previous cycles. But the question that looms over Iowa is with the Democrats moving on and a Republican cycle that has only blown up traditions of the past, can the Iowa caucus ever regain the prominence it once had? Or will this quirky way of starting the presidential election process be relegated to the history books? This is the final episode of Caucus Land. This podcast is produced by me, Clay Masters, and John Pemble. Special thanks to Natalie Krebs for her reporting on this episode. Editorial support from Iowa Public Radio News Director Michael Leland and the NPR Midwest Newsroom's Chris Husted and Holly Edgel. Our music was composed by Garrett Schmid. Don't forget to rate and share the show. Caucus Land is a production of Iowa Public Radio News.